Wow, what a welcome. Oh my goodness. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing this morning? How are we doing this morning? Come on, that was so good, right? My name is Amanda Leonoel. If you don't know me, I um, do a lot of things around here for fun, and it's, it's a pleasure to be with all of you this morning. We're in this Advent season, right? Continuing our series this morning, The Advent Conspiracy. And I think it's just fitting, right? Just to celebrate all the giving, all the generosity as we think about God and the gift that he gave to us in his son. To celebrate the giving that we're able to do, right? To be like him in our generosity. And so even in all the giving initiatives that we've been able to participate in around here, and even most recently, one of our own, right, our own family, the Walkers, right? I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but within six days, six days, they exceeded, exceeded their goal of what they were raising. I mean, that is a testament to, to family. It's a testament to family, to love, right? And so it's, it's, it's fitting to celebrate that this morning as we continue our series, uh, The Advent Conspiracy. My parents are here this morning. They're like going to be so, they're like, what are you doing right now? What are you, can, can, they're, they're sitting right over, would you guys stand up for a second? These are my lovely parents. And um, I just, before I, I continue with our series, I just wanted to take a moment because you don't always get a chance to do this, and I'm just taking my little moment of privilege right here just to honor my parents. Um, I'm standing up here today. It's the fruit of all you invested in my life. Dad, all the times you prayed for me with me before bed, talked to me about the person of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father. Mom, every time you took me to the library a million times a week to feed my love for learning. Like, I, standing here today, like, I am the fruit of all of your investment in my life. And so I just want to honor you today since you're here. I love you both so much. <laughs> um, so today we're continuing our series, uh, The Advent Conspiracy. And this morning I want to talk to you about process. Oh, good. Oh, you guys are good this morning. You guys are just so receptive. We're, we're, we're going. So when you think of the word process, what comes to mind? Mm-mm, yeah, yeah. Process is defined as a series of progressive and interdependent steps by which an end is attained. A series of progressive and interdependent steps by which an end is attained. And I want you to take a minute and think about a time that you underwent a process, whether it's physical, emotional, relational, spiritual. How did you feel in the midst? of that circumstance or that situation? What was the end result? Often on this side of heaven, <laughs> when we experience process, it comes with a dose of 
discomfort, pain, their highs, their lows, right? It's, it's not always bundles of fun. <laughs> and yet, and yet, process in and of itself isn't a bad thing. It's not even the result of living in a fallen world. Because when we search the scriptures, we see that God is a God of process. (laughs) Think about creation. Rather than snapping his fingers and instantaneously manifesting everything that we see all around us, scripture tells us that God chose to, to create a process, to do everything over the course of a process. That's prior to the fall. Consider all of the elements that make up the building blocks of life. Seeds germinating into foliage, plants, flowers, and trees. Think about the maturation of human development. Right? Babies beginning in the womb. Stages of infancy, childhood, adolescence, and all the stages of adulthood. (laughs) Think about the cycles of life, right? Water, rock formation. All around us, we see evidence of a God who enjoys process. Process is not the result of the fall but it's God's preferred course of action. And for me, like, I mean, I don't know for you, but for me, that's like a game changer in my thinking, right? It's like, whoa, because (laughs) it's so countercultural. Especially, I I mean, I could speak for as an American, right? Like, it's so countercultural to our thinking. Corporate America... The bottom line, like time is money, the end result is all that matters, no matter how you get there, right? But when we step into a relationship with God, it confronts even this cultural like reality that we're a part of. God values process. And I, I think sometimes we believe <laughs> that God like tolerates process. You know, I'm I'm like a relatively new mom. My son's around 21 21 months. And <laughs> like I am just I'm so obsessed with this little human. <laughs> like like he's like he's not even 2 yet, so he's still learning how to talk, he's still learning how to do these things. And I am just enjoying seeing all of the new things like he can do from day to day. Like, it is just fascinating to watch, like, all the new words that he learns, all the new associations he's able to make. And if I could snap my fingers today and have him know everything that he needs to know and be a fully grown adult, I would never do that. Never do that. Like, I am enjoy- I'm relishing watching him go through all the stages of development. It's a precious thing. And I can't help but feel that that's how God feels about us. As he's watching us develop, as he's watching us mature. 
that he enjoys seeing our maturation. And for us to embrace process with all of its difficulties and challenges is to embrace the character of God. It's an invitation to know him more deeply. To kind of step a little closer and say, wait a minute. This is something in his character. This is something that he loves to do. And to embrace it is to say, God, I want to know you and how you operate. And all throughout the Bible, there are examples of people undergoing process. Right? We could talk about Noah who built an ark to save a remnant from the flood, right? Leading, you know, saving people from disaster. We could talk about Abraham, who walked by faith into the land of promise. We could talk about Joseph, who rose from the pit of rejection to a position of royalty. We could talk about Moses, who challenged Pharaoh and led the Israelites out of slavery. <laughs> Right? We could talk about David, a shepherd boy, and his journey to becoming a warring, worshiping king. And we can't leave the ladies out, right? We could talk about Esther. We could talk about Ruth. Right? I mean, there's so, we could just go on and on talking about all these people that we have recorded in history, in, in our scriptures, who have undergone process. But this morning, I want to talk about Jesus. Yeah, come on. Right? Yeah, come on. I want to talk about Jesus and the process by which he entered his divine calling as the Son of God, the Messiah, the living tabernacle, the meeting place between heaven and earth, the one called to bring God's kingdom rule all among us. <laughs> Let's talk about him. Because Jesus underwent process too. Yeah. So we don't really know much about Jesus' early life, but we kind of get little glimpses. Like we know that he was born into promise, right? We know that prior to his birth and even after his birth, his parents were given prophetic words. So they had expectation, right, about their son and, and who he was. And we get this little story about Jesus. <laughs> I mean, he's, you know, a, a, a boy, and his parents are in Jerusalem for Passover. And he's got this stirring on the inside to be in the temple about his father's business. And he gets left behind. <laughs> and his family has to go back and find him. If you're feeling really bad about yourself as a parent, just read that story. And you're like, okay, Mary, the mother of Jesus, left Jesus behind in Jerusalem. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself today. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, we, that's all we get about, you know, Jesus and his early development. But we see that even as a young boy, he had this stirring. He had this sense about who he was. And other than, other than that, we just get this summary of his development. And I wanted to, us to look at Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. And just think, right? Like, Jesus is fully God 
and fully man. Like, he isn't a demigod. Like, he isn't, like, half man, half God. Like, no, he is, like, in his human flesh containing, like, the essence of the Godhead on the inside of him, right? But he's fully human. So he knew sadness. He knew longing. He knew hunger. (laughs) And he grew up in this humble home, right? Like Jesus was not part of the religious elite or the ruling class. Like he grew up in a humble family and even, I dare say, a family of scandal. His mom turned up pregnant during her engagement. We know that it was immaculate conception, right? But what do you think everybody else was thinking? Jesus grew up in a neighborhood where everybody was giving his mom the side eye, right? Immaculate conception, right? Seriously, that's, that's, that's the environment which Jesus, imagine, like, you have this sense of who you are, and everybody's looking at you and not seeing that, not seeing you for who you really are. To his community, Like, Jesus was the illegitimate son of a carpenter who grew up in an obscure town of Nazareth. That's who he was to people in his community. And yet, (laughs) I like to think about what was it like for him on the inside to know that he had this calling Like to know, to have this sense of his divine vocation and to to begin to imagine like what it was going to look like when he was going to step out into that calling in the midst of just being deemed ordinary by those around him. And so we have this moment um, right before Jesus enters his public ministry and he is acknowledged by John the Baptist, and he's a prophet. And so, like, John publicly announces him, baptizes him, and God the Father himself affirms him. It's an incredible, glorious moment. I want us to look at it. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. It says, when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I mean, if you're Jesus, like this is an incredible moment. I mean, he's been waiting 30 years for this, right? (laughs) Like he's been knowing, he's getting the stirring of who he is. And then finally, like the prophet acknowledges, yes, you have this divine calling. And then God himself like, affirms him publicly. Incredible, glorious. Do you know what happens next? Let's look. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And it says, so this is right after his baptism, right after this glorious moment. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. 
And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. So right after this glorious public affirmation, it says that Jesus is full of the Spirit. So like he's empowered, he's encouraged. Wow, yeah, right? And then it says that the Spirit, Holy Spirit, leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Like, I don't know about you. I I remember when I first read, like, when I first, like, made the connection, I read this, and I was like, like, if I was Jesus, I'd be mad, right? Because, like, what, what happened? Like, I thought we were good. Like, you just publicly acknowledged me in front of everybody. I've been, like, like, wrestling with this my whole life, and, like, here I am. I'm affirmed. And, like, you lead me now into the wilderness? What? What is happening here? What is God doing? And, like, we know that God is not sadistic. And I don't think that Jesus was like, God, what are you doing? But I think that we see here, right, like, there's a deeper thing that's happening in this moment. We know that God doesn't enjoy watching his children suffer. So what is he doing here? What is the point? And so I want to take the next few minutes and I want to look um, at the temptation of Christ as we have recorded. And just see what it is that we can glean from this narrative. So we'll begin again in in Luke chapter 4. And we're going to read all the way verses 1 through 15. And it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation... He departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So good, huh? So It's so important to read scripture in context, right? <laughs> Because if you just like read parts, you kind of miss the whole connection that's being made over the course of these chapters. And so in, in two of these instances of temptation, 
There's a certain taunt that the devil devil throws at Jesus. A certain phrase that he repeats twice. Did anyone catch what it was? Yeah, you said it. If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God, then. If you are the son of God, then. Okay, okay, but wait a minute, hold on. Let's back up. What just happened at Jesus' baptism? God just confirmed, this is my beloved son, and who am I well pleased? God just confirmed Jesus' identity. And now he's in the wilderness, and the enemy is saying, if you are the son of God. So what is the devil doing? He's questioning the very thing that God just affirmed in Jesus. Sound familiar? And notice how he questions Jesus' identity, right? He, he takes aim at the places where Jesus is the most vulnerable and susceptible to wanting to prove himself. And so let's look at the first temptation, right? He says, hey, uh, you know, Jesus had just been fasting, so he was very hungry. And he says, hey, turn these stones to bread. Feed yourself. Right? What is, he, what is he asking him to do? He's asking him to use his power to meet his own need, right? And to, and to, to prove his divinity by, by doing this work in order to meet his own need. See, but Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. Right? And so when he moved <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he did things, it was because he knew that's what the Father wanted. He stayed in step with the Father and the Spirit. And so here comes the devil trying to make Jesus prove his divinity and step to do something that would be out of alignment with the Father and the Son just to put on a show for the devil. <laughs> Ever felt like you had to prove yourself to somebody? Had to do something to prove who you are? Jesus has been there. <laughs> Let's look at the second temptation. This one for me, I think, is like, whoa, right? So the devil, like, does this, like, vision before Jesus, and he shows him all of the kingdoms of the world, Right? And he's like, hey, if you worship me, I can give this all to you. What's, what's weird about this, right, is that, like, we know that God has already endowed Jesus with authority. He's already endowed Jesus with authority. But what the enemy is offering here, he's offering Jesus a shortcut, a bypassing of process. Because... If Jesus is going to be the kind of king that God is, his crown is made of thorns, and the robe given to him is given to him by the soldiers who are mocking him, and his throne is a cross. And that is his inauguration. 
the inauguration of his rule. That is the authority by which God rules. That is how God comes to be king. By dying, laying down his life in love for the very people who are mocking him and don't deserve it. And so the devil goes, hey, hey, listen. You don't have to do that. You can be king now. In all the pomp and circumstance, all these Roman rulers, I can give it to you now. You don't have to die. Why would you want to do that? We could work something out. I mean, I could see how this would be really alluring, right? Because Jesus knows that he's meant to rule. But he has a choice of how he's going to do it. What is his ruling going to look like in the earth? Yeah. Is he going to bypass the process? Have you ever been tempted to bypass process? Take a shortcut? (laughs) Cut some corners? Right? But at what cost? Jesus has been there. And let's look at the third temptation. The devil is again asking Jesus to prove his identity. Um, we see here that uh, he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, right? And then he's like, hey, you know, throw yourself down, right? Scripture says angels are going to come. And they're going to, like, carry you. So Jesus this whole time has been leaning on Scripture, right? And he's been using Scripture, to respond to what the devil has said. There's so many things we could talk about in these temptations that we don't have time for today. But he's been using scripture. And (laughs) in this moment, so the devil comes now with his own scripture, right? Totally takes it out of context, right? And tries to use even the scripture to manipulate Jesus into, like, doing this vain, ostentatious display of like having angels coming and surround him, showing all of his glory, right? And then, of course, we see that Jesus, he leans on the scripture, and he's like, I'm not going to do that, right? And And he's victorious. And so we see in all these instances that Jesus is victorious. But it says in that, in, in verse 13, it says, at the end of the last temptation, the devil departed from him, until an opportune time. And so this is what we have, like, recorded, right, in Scripture. But we know that that's not the end. We know that that wasn't the end of the battle, right? What I want us to think about, though, in the next few moments is, okay, so Jesus was empowered. He was confirmed by the Father and then led into the wilderness, And then what happened at the end? What was the end result? And we see in verses 14 and 15, it says that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So what happened after Jesus underwent all the temptation? It says that he was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So what was the purpose of all of this? 
why did Jesus have to go through this? Why do we go through process, right? And we know that the process of spiritual maturity always involves testing. The Holy Spirit at the appropriate time, he beckons us into testing, not because he's sadistic, because he is authenticating. He is authenticating the work that he has done on the inside of us. When we are in a wilderness season, what has been cultivated on the inside of us is revealed. What we really believe. And this is what it was. Jesus was in the wilderness and God had just affirmed him. And really what it was about is, is Jesus going to believe? Is he going to lean on who God says he is? Is he really going to believe that? Or is he going to listen to the lies of the enemy? And I think all of us can find ourselves in those situations, right? I think about back to the garden. Did God really say? We find ourselves in those moments when what we know to be true, what we know, what we know, what we know is being called into question. And we have to decide what it is that we're going to stand on, what it is that we're going to lean on, whose voice are we going to listen to. What I love about the story is that Jesus, after he is victorious, it says that he was empowered and that he preached in the synagogues and that, like, he was being glorified by everyone. Like, it was, he was, he was, like, stepping into even a greater measure of authority as a result of having that character of Christ, that character of God authenticated on the inside of him. And so I want to encourage you this morning, like, some of you, No matter where you are, like whether you are maybe in a season of being affirmed, right? And like it's good, like God's affirming you, he's confirming like things about you and it's it's a great time. And some of you are maybe like right smack in the wilderness where you just like, you thought everything was hunky-dory and all of a sudden now you don't know what hit you. (laughs) And you're in the thick of it. Like I'm here to tell you this morning What's coming on the other side of that wilderness is greater empowerment. What's coming on that side of the other side of your wilderness is is new authority that you're going to step into. And a greater knowing of who you are and who God is on the inside of you. Like that, like God is always positioning us for victory. He's always positioning us for the breakthrough. Even when we're in the midst of the, of the most difficult parts, the most difficult portions, like Jesus himself, right? Like in the face of death, where it looked like it was over, it was unto resurrection life. Right? And so no matter where you find yourself this morning, maybe you're in a season of empowerment, and that's incredible, right? You're, you're on the mountaintop, and you're feeling this newfound liberation to be used by God in fresh new ways. But I want to encourage you, like, one, I just want to leave you with one last scripture, Hebrews 5.8. It says that although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. <laughs> yeah, whoa. Like, when I first read that scripture, I was like, 
he learned obedience. Like, I feel like we, we downplay Jesus' humanity so often in the church because we're afraid it's going to take away from his divinity. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. Like, Jesus came He had to be human because he had to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And he had to step up and be the faithful Israelite, be the faithful man in partnership with God when Adam broke that in the garden. Like Jesus had to do that for us, right? So he had to be fully human and fully God. And in his humanity, he had to learn obedience over time. It was something that he cultivated in relationship with the Father and the Son over years, Over years. And so wherever you are in process this morning, wherever you find yourself, I I hope you find encouragement today from the person of Christ whom we follow, whose footsteps we follow, right? That we can lean on the Father. We can lean on the Spirit. We can follow the footsteps of the Son, (laughs) and grow and cultivate this relationship with God. Learning to lean on him, whether you're on the mountain and the highs or in the valley and the lows. Learning to feel God's heart. Yeah. So I'm going to pray for you all this morning. I just want to pray for you. I feel like such a tenderness in the room. I just want to be sensitive to what God is doing. Daddy, I thank you for these hearts that are before me, these beautiful people that you love. Daddy, I ask that wherever they are in their process, whether they're being affirmed right now, whether they're in the wilderness, whether they're being empowered in a new way, in greater authority, that I ask for your encouragement to come to every heart. (laughs) That they would know that you are near, that in the midst of trial, that you don't abandon. You don't leave. (laughs) But you're cheering us on. That you know that you are confident that what you put on the inside of us is going to be revealed that it's going to come to the surface, that we're going to step out in victory, in greater levels of authority because of our connection, because of our intimacy with you, our friendship with you. And Daddy, I just ask over this holiday season, you would continue to woo our hearts. You would continue to show us just how near how present, how accessible you are, God. Even right now in this moment, that your nearness would be felt. (laughs) Yeah, he's so close. He's so close. He's so close to you. He's closer than your breath. He hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't abandoned you. He knows, he knows, he knows, and he's near. He's a comforter and he's a friend and he's mighty to save. (laughs) And he's mighty to save. 
And I just want to invite the ministry team to come up. If you feel like you just want prayer for any, for any reason at all, it doesn't have to even pertain to the message. But if the message did touch you in any way and you want to receive prayer for that, I encourage you to come up. Or if there's anything else that you're just wrestling with this holiday season, we have people at the front who are more than happy to stand with you, more than happy to pray with you. So I just want to encourage you. You can make your way and you could just sit there and just receive what the Holy Spirit has for you. God, we thank you. We thank you for your nearness. We thank you for you coming down, being made flesh and being near to us, entering our experience. We're so grateful for you, God. We're so grateful.